The first rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. Okay. Isn't the first rule of Fight Club don't talk about Fight Club? First rule of Fight Club never talk about Fight Club. The first rule of Fight Club you don't talk about Fight Club. What is the first rule of Fight Club, Proby? Okay, Tony, you can barely turn your computer on, so no offense. No one is supposed to talk about it. First rule of Fight Club and all that. The first rule of Fight Club. Gentlemen, welcome to Fight Club. You can be a man of courage, of honor, of integrity. You can be the father, the husband, the leader that your family and your community needs. This is the Manlyhood Mancast. Here's your host, Josh Atcher. Welcome to Fight Club. And I know that we're not supposed to talk about Fight Club, but at this Fight Club, talking is what we do. <laughs> and we talk about Fight Club. And we're we talk about Fight and Club. And everything else we can think of. Yes, exactly. So uh, with us today, we've got Dan Robinson. Yo, what up? We've got Abe Hatcher. We've got Mr. Dan Karish. Evening. And we have Jason Ransom. Thank you for having me. All right, guys, so... Welcome to Fight Club, and we've got all kinds of good stuff we can chat about today. Uh, so if you are listening to Fight Club for our live, and you want to get involved and ask us questions, please feel free to send your questions in the in the group chat, or I mean in the, the, the chat there. And I'm just, I'm realizing my headphones are rubbing my mic, so it makes a funny sound. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it was doing. So, uh, if you want to interact with us, please leave a comment on our Facebook page. If you're listening to this, like, in a week or so, uh, on the the podcast or on the YouTube channel, uh, there won't be a, you can leave your comments, but we won't be able to address them live, like we can if you're watching us on Facebook. So, uh, so that's what's happening here. Guys, how things going? We've been having a good time. Uh, we got, what, three OGs here that have have been to the last two fight clubs. we got some new guys. So things have been going good for you. So are, are you calling me an old guy? Uh, uh, OG, it stands for Original Gangsta. It's okay. <laughs> all right. Or the GOAT. Or the greatest of all time. <laughs> yes. So... Uh, guys, so many, so many crazy things we could talk about today. Um, I, I think we'll start out with, uh, I saw a CNN article, which, um, when I, when I first saw it, you know, and by the way, this is what happens with articles. You see the headline and you immediately react and you don't read the rest of the article. So my first reaction upon seeing the headline was what kind of BS is this? Um, and the headline, you know, basically says, stop trying to fix yourself, this expert says. You know, and if you look at the article, the, the, the concept is, now, there's two ways you can read it. If you read it with the mindset of what can we learn from this, there's a lot you can get out of it. If mm-hmm. you read it from the, out, the perspective of the outrage about the headline, then that initial take on it is... You know, it's better just to stay the same and not change because that's bad. We just call it settling for a hook. Right. Settling for the sea. Mediocrity. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's not helpful to, no, you know. No, never like, is. No. Like, I, I, there's a lot of guys that I'll come across when we're doing the podcast and, and I'm interacting with people and they're like, 
Like, why do I need to improve? I'm fine just the way I am. <laughs> you know, who are you? Uh, but yeah, yeah. Obviously, the one problem you have is a little bit of arrogance. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know, so so like I'm 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 of the belief that no matter who you are and how great you are or not great you are, there's always room for improvement, and we should always be trying to improve and better ourselves. I think sometimes, though, too, that uh, people are scared of the word fix because then they have to admit that something's wrong, you know? Yeah, right. Which, I mean, we know... And she brought that up. Yeah. It, either she did or the question of the CNN reporter brought that up. One of them did. And she answered it just about that way, that it's it's not what you're saying. Mm-hmm. It's It's that... You may, you don't, I think, I think part of this was that you don't have to fix the overall persona as you might have to fix something. Right. And we all have something to fix. That's a better way to approach it anyway, because if you try to fix everything all at once, nothing's going to ever get done. No. So, I mean, if you are trying to fix something, you'd rather focus on one thing so you can at least get that one thing done. Mm-hmm. Which is with most things. That's really how it starts anyway, right? right? Yeah. yeah. Pick up one thing and then go from there. Yeah. And then there's the next thing after that and the next thing after that. Now, so the 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 expert is named Nora Merneni or Mernier, I don't even know how to say her name. She'll she can sue me later if I get it wrong. But, <laughs> she says, for some, the deadly virus and its upheaval constituted the first big thing they'd ever been through. Meanwhile, she and others whose lives had been shaped by grief, loss, or tragedy had long known that life is fragile and our pace in this modern world is untenable. Which I think that's really interesting. So, like, I kind of, I read that and I was like, the first big thing, like, what do you, what do you mean? But if you, like... Progressively, I mean, like, when I look back when I was a kid, right? So, like, when I was younger, the first real big life event that changed, like, the face of political culture, world culture, like, the what we were facing as, like, a group of, you know, like, as a nation, right? So, like, that big event was 9-11 in my life. Like, I can remember pre-9-11 and post-9-11. So, like, pre-9-11, there was... We never... I never heard about, you know, the only wars I ever heard about were the ones we learned about in history class. There was no reality to that, right? There was nothing happening that was in my lifetime that was actively going on. So there, there wasn't that, that, you know, the upheaval and the unrest related to that. Then you look at post 9-11 and for people like me, we've known nothing other than that now. So you've had, you know, whatever followed 9-11 and then just kind of matriculating down and down and down and down. But then if you look at people who are, you know, younger than I am and in high school, they, some of them exist now. They don't even know, weren't even alive when 9-11 happened, even if they were really young. It didn't necessarily affect their life and they didn't see that kind of like upheaval. So I kind of almost agree with the statement that this was like a real major event. Like, I mean, it was the first major event of its kind. I mean, we've never really seen in a world spectrum or national spectrum anything like this before. So as an event goes, 
I mean, I would never liken it to 9-11 because that's not at all what I'm trying to say. But in a magnitude of something, in a large-scale event that is life-altering and life-changing perpetually for the foreseeable future, that's pretty pretty big. I mean, whether you really believed in the whole thing or not or, you know, whatever it is, I mean, it still has altered the course of action for a lot of people, a lot of you know political spectrums, a lot of division, a lot of things came out of that that really kind of changed the trajectory of where we were kind of where we were kind of headed, right? I mean, pre-COVID, we were you know pretty pretty prosperous economic-wise. We were doing pretty well. Everything was kind of looking like greener pastures, and then all of a sudden, we have a major event again that is like, boom. And now I got a dog who wants some pets. Yeah, Lincoln wants pets. <laughs> That's okay. um, so Abe was in his mom's belly when 9-11 happened and came yeah. come out a month later. Yeah. So would you say, Abe, that that's probably like the, the that when the deadly pandemic <laughs> hit, <laughs> that it was, and, and all of the things that happened after it, because let's, let's be real, everything that happened after 2020 has almost kind of sprung out of that. Yeah. It would, would you say that, 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 like, that's the first major hard life experience that most I, of your generation has, has encountered? I mean, I think it depends, because I think a lot of people of my generation don't really care all that much. It, at least it, at least the ones that are probably closer to me in terms of mindset. But, like, when I think about it, I don't really... I don't think about it all that much, you know. It's like I, in my mind, there's not like pre-COVID and post-COVID. It's just, it's just now and constantly, you know, just, 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 just. It's just things that happen, you know. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like it changed everything. It did change everything, but it doesn't feel like it. I guess. I guess that's also because like. You know, I graduated that year and everything else, so it's just like, I guess the change is more how it affects you personally, to to a degree. Like, like I mean, it did change a lot, but my life was already changing a lot anyway, so it just felt like that's just another part of continuation my life. Yeah, exactly. The, the, this line in that statement where it says our pace in this modern world is untenable. And I will say just talking to a lot of people who are in the spot where here they are, they've got a family, they're working a 40-hour a week job, they're barely able to feed their family with it, so they have to take on a second job or a third job or whatever, and they're just going constantly. Mm-hmm. They're trying to get a better job so they can make enough money and it's not, and we're not talking keeping up with the Joneses stuff, you know. I mean, bare survival. Yeah, yeah, like a, a a reasonable, you know, lower middle class kind of lifestyle. They're not trying to drive fancy cars and all of that, and they and they're struggling to do that. And so, you know, and, and the answer is, I mean, if you want to make more money, right? The answer is, you either work more hours or you find a job that pays you more. And if you can't work more hours at that job, then you take on a second job or you start a side hustle. And there's all kinds of ways. Like, if you want to make money, there's always money to be made. There's always somebody willing to pay you for something that you want to do. 
Or that you were your kidney or something, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Sell plasma. <laughs> Always the black market. Feet, feet pics. <laughs> I've thought about. Sorry. This <laughs> is feet pick market. You don't. You don't I have the nastiest feet, and I thought people will that. buy it. People will buy it. I have the nastiest feet. Like it like, doesn't matter. People will buy it. This this top dollar for that. This coffee table that's really a Czechoslovakian rifle crate, which it actually is, which is kind of cool. I have That's stubbed, yeah. I've stubbed my toes on it so many times that my toes look like. Bro, I'm telling you, there is someone out there that will buy that picture. You just. I mean, I don't want to send pictures of anything else. No, you don't have to. Just my nasty feet. Just your nasty feet, man. Yeah. People will buy it. Top dollar market. So you know, I mean. God, Josh is going to create only feet. <laughs> Only feet. You heard it here. Uh, <laughs> so disgusting. Which which brings me to the next quote in this article, by the way. I want my work to lower the bar for people. We have so much intense pressure to achieve and to perform in the face of all the suffering and struggle of modern life. You do not have to do anything other than just be a decent person and survive. Now, a little far, I, you know, like, I mean, obviously I'm pretty... I, I lean pretty heavily left or right rather than left. You know, the idea of a universal basic income, I think, is kind of really weird to me. You know, you if, if you want to survive, you have to work. Everybody has to do something. And if you are unable to work, that's where the social safety nets come in to help provide for you. And hopefully you've paid into that if you are able to. And if not, I paid into it to be able to take care of people that can't work. Right. I get that. Mm-hmm. But. You know, I think even if you find yourself disabled, you want to do something to benefit your community and your society and your family. Like, you know? Yeah, if, if there's anything you can do, you think you'd want to do that. I, I know, me personally, when I, I wasn't working for any kind of reason, I, I, it would drive me nuts not to be doing something. If you can go out and just... You know, give back them. one way or another. Oh, yeah. somebody somewhere. You, you think you'd want to? I think her on that last statement. I think her first part of that statement. I just want to lower the bar for everybody. I think instead. I think that was one of the things that set me off about that is the way she puts herself. It's like you're not lowering the bar. You're giving per- people permission instead of what we talked about trying to change your whole life. To hey, let me work on one thing. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, I'm going to continue to try to be a good person and try to be a productive part of society. But let me work on one thing. I don't have to be this this person. And she goes on to talk that the five principles make me better and 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 all of this good stuff. I think it's she she has a problem with her messaging is what she has with her English, her syntax, whatever you want to call it, or or her basic philosophy, which I think could also be the problem. You know, she may think that. That people only need to be decent and survive, <clears throat> and that if they do that, that's enough, and the rich should take care of them. <laughs> like that's the way I read this. I think that's I, I think that might be behind some of what she's saying. I think like she's saying, yes, you know, we don't have to put all this pressure to be the best and to to hustle so hard that we break everything. And I don't get me wrong. You know, I think about this a lot. My dad worked so much overtime to be able to give us nice things when mm-hmm. I was a kid. And he worked really hard to make sure that we also got time with him. But there were times that I would have rather had him than the nice thing. 
Do you know what I mean? I've heard that from my boys. Yeah. There are times when I would have rather had him than the nice thing. So, you know, I, I under, fully understand the concepts here, you know? Like... Well, well, and I think, like, so, like, looking at that and, like, again, from my perspective, you're, like, you're looking at... So when I was in high school, it was... Told to us that if you wanted to make something of yourself and you wanted to be successful, you needed to do really well in school and go to college and get a degree and be this functioning member of society, and that's how you did it. You had to have that college degree to succeed. And there was this ever mounting pressure to be able to produce that basically piece of paper that got you to where you were on the pedestal of being successful, right? So, you know, graduating college in, oh, good Lord, 2014 now. So, like, 2014. So long ago. I know. <laughs> Quiet. <laughs> it's almost 10 years. We're it feels like a long, it feels like we're long ago. We're up there, okay? <laughs> so, I, I think the part of, like, there was a lot of expectation placed on people of how successful you were going to be based on what you did in your life, right? So, like, you went to college, you were automatically going to be the successful person and you're going to make money and be... Until okay. your bachelor's ended up being, like, your high school diploma. So then, then I got to go get a master's. So now, flash forward to, uh, like, where we're living now, right? So, post... Uh, not necessarily post-COVID, but, like, in the COVID era, everything really took a 180 and went the other direction, right? So the the idea that you didn't have to be in a, in a work environment to do work, that you could make ends meet with other means, that you were all of a sudden being pressured to do all of these other things on top of it, you were almost kind of like, and I like and I hear the suffering a part of that, and I think of like the stages of grief. You're almost dying to the self that you thought you were going to be. Mm. So like you have to get over the fact that you're not as successful or you're not as what you thought you would be in a very ever-changing environment, and you almost kind of have to, like, get over that in order to then move forward. But, like, if you think about grief, if you don't move through the stages of grief, you never get, you can never get past it. You have to work through that, that suffering in order to get your place to the next place, right? Otherwise, you're never going to, like, move forward. Self-actualization. Yeah. That's yeah, Carl yeah. Jung right there. That's, yeah, I mean... He has a lot of interesting thoughts about psychology and how to become the most you version of yourself. And it's, 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 it's it sounds like, it, 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 yeah, yeah, exactly. But it sounds hokey, but that's not, it's, it's not wrong either. No, it's like, it, it, yeah. it, it talks about like, like the psychological aspect of, of growing up and, and, just all of all of that kind of maturing emotionally and mentally in a, in a scientific way. I mean, thinking about even my own life, like before all of this happened, <laughs> you know, my my wife and I, we felt pretty comfortable in our jobs. We bought a house. We have two cars. We've got a family like we were very comfortable in our lifestyle, the way that we were living based on our jobs and how we worked. And then like <sighs> COVID happened. And now all of it is kind of back to where we were 
the feeling five years ago when we didn't have kids and we didn't own our own home, when we were still struggling to pay bills because we've met that resistance, everything increased, but we didn't increase. Does that make sense? Like mm-hmm. we went, everything went to a new level. It's all more expensive now. That's now called I, inflation. Yeah. Well, yeah I was just going right. to say that. Yeah, it's exactly. Inflation so is both a literal and like a, but the, different but the psychological of. impact on that is so inflation happened, right? So things cost more money. But where I was financially secure before and didn't have to worry about it and was comfortable and felt good about where I was in life. Yes. Now I yes. don't feel that way. You've lost twenty some percent of your salary without giving it away. Yeah, exactly. Yes. I don't feel that financial security and that comfortableness anymore. We've got this We've got this background noise That you guys I think that's what Dan was Cocking his head for I still have my air conditioner in I haven't pulled it out yet And it's still the, it's, It is where It's raindrops <laughs> Raindrops hitting that well, tin hey, That's, that's ambiance It's ambiance yeah, Put some jazz on You know What you're You're talking about And what you're talking about It Before you heard me talk to your dad before you before everybody else walked in about a, a word that I learned today. Yes. And to me, you're saying self-actualization, and you're telling me about all these psychological things that you have to go through, and mm-hmm. and you know for the stages of grief and all this. I'll call BS. I'm 68 years old. We never had this. Many, many, many people out of my generation. Never had this stuff. We did okay. Without somebody trying to define it for us and mm-hmm. tell us, well, this is what you should feel. Eh, no, what I should feel is what's right for me to feel. Not somebody else telling me how I'm supposed to feel. You know, it... it am I making any sense? Yeah, I, I, I actually, I totally agree with you. I think that... that like nowadays, we have a tendency to overdefine everything. Like, everything. We we everything yes. has to be in its own little bubble. It has to have like several different categories have, just to describe. Have you what read 1984 is. yet? I read some of it. Get it. Get read it. it. Have you read it? No. You didn't have to read it as part of school. No. Get it. Read it. You. <laughs> read it. I I guarantee it. You'll, I did like what I read. You'll I get a whole new outlook on stuff. Not saying that this is exactly we're not marching down this path. Yeah. But what Orwell had to say, it'll raise the, it'll raise the hair on the back of your neck, I guarantee I, What I love about Orwell is that 1984 is not only about the, that dystopian future that he kind of foresaw, mm. but within that, all of the different things that made it that Way. That we're seeing a lot of not net, right. like I said we're not marching lockstep down the path, but I mean the what's destruction it, of language is one of them. What did we give up after nine eleven? Patriot Act that had a sunset clause. Guess what? No longer does it have a sunset clause. It's law. Mm-hmm. What did we give up right there? Buku stuff. Yeah. You know because we were scared. You know the government's going to take care of itself. But what I'm saying in 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 in, in these people that, that try to put and she she kind of puts lie to it at the end of her stuff that you don't need to be the person that's going through uh, the seven stages or the seven steps or the five steps or or whatever that 
you need to be the person you need to be. Exactly. Yeah. And and that's yeah. where you need to be. Yeah. And for somebody to tell me that and, and put it in cycle babble and yeah. expect me to eat out of that bowl, it ain't gonna happen. And I don't, <laughs> I really don't think we should. Yeah. Honestly. I, I think about when I when I think about the whole concept is and, and what she's saying in the article and the whole concept of everything we've been talking about, I think what it really comes down to is what do you need to do? What's the next right thing? What's the next step that you need to take? The next right thing. What, that's, a, that's, a, that's a reference that's to a, Disney's Frozen 2. Yeah. <laughs> but still, though, you but know. That's what you need to, like, what's, yeah. the, what's the next step? Yeah. Like, like, we're always thinking, you know, that long-term vision, which is not wrong, to, to, you know, you know what? Someday I'd like to have this. I'd like to be this. A goal to work towards. Yeah. But yeah. but honestly, the most important thing is, what do I need to do today when I get up? And what do I need to do tonight before I go to bed? You know, like, worry about those things. just as much on that stuff as you do the end goal. Yeah. Today is more important. The end goal is great to have, and it's good to have a goal out there. But what happens today affects that. Exactly. You'll never get to the light at the end of the tunnel if you trip on a rock. True. I was True. I was listening to uh, Ryan Mickler uh, in his Order of Man podcast this week, and he was talking about, like uh, he was answering questions, and one of the questions was about like like you know how do you achieve your goals when when they just seem so far away? And he's like, how about you find the one thing you need to do today? That's the most important. That's gonna that works you in that direction. You know if that thing that you want that you need to do today is working you in that direction or not, and do that. It's and another Lego in the wall. Right. It's another Lego. Another, put in, and set, and I'm ready to go. That was like almost a Pink Floyd reference. <laughs> I almost, I, I, that was in my mind, but it's like, you could have said it. Let's, let's not do this. Not another brick in the wall. That would have been perfect. Oh, guys, our, uh, the, one of the other things I wanted to talk to you guys about was this article. I saw this today, and it's absolutely ridiculous, but I think it's worth discussing. Uh, the headline said, The world's dirtiest man, age 94, dies months after his first wash. I feel like, I, I feel I like we need a lot more context for this. Okay, let me give you the context. Dun, dun. I'll, I'll read the first couple paragraphs of the article. An Iranian hermit, known as the world's dirtiest man, has died at the ripe age of... The, the ripe age <laughs> of 94. Pun intended. Perfect. <laughs> Just months after taking his first wash in decades, Iranian state media announced Amu Haji, Uncle Haji as he was referred to. Haji. Uncle Haji. Died on, that sounds like a racial slur. <laughs> as he was referred to, died on Sunday in Desga, a village in the country's southern province of Fars. State news agency reported, according to the region's district head, Haji had for decades avoided fresh food and believed that if he cleans, cleans himself, he will get sick, the agency reported. Now, as I read the rest of the article, basically, several months uh, ago, the villagers decided this guy needed a bath. So they kidnapped him and brought him to the river, and he escaped. <laughs> then they succeeded. So this wasn't him deciding to take a bath. This is the villagers decided that this 94 this year old man. The stress of getting kidnapped. Needs a bath. Come on, actually, poor dude. This, uh, the the uh, something I can't remember what it was, but uh, uh, before this even happened, I seen you know the the article about this guy being the dirtiest guy alive and blah blah blah. Um, I, I think the, the him smoking elephant dark didn't help things either. <laughs> How did he get to 94? <laughs> I heard about that. Yeah. It's wonder. <laughs> it's all natural. 
gosh. Uh-huh. Really sepsis, like two weeks in. <laughs> First of all, think about who is reporting this. Iranian state news. <laughs> right? Iranian okay. state news. <laughs> yes. This, this was important enough. This was important <laughs> right. Enough. This is the Iranian state news. That's different than independent journalism. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> it's that important. I think the Ayatollahs wanted to make a statement here. Yeah. <laughs> Don't take a shower. Ever. This sounds like a 1984 uh, way to explain away that they don't have any razor blades, you know? Bath soap, hot yeah. water, yeah. you know, towels, none of that stuff. So. Goldstein. No, but, God. Yeah, it's a mess. But, you know, and, and if the dude has lived in 94, how about you leave him alone? Apparently what he's doing works. Yeah, it works, right. didn't it? I mean, so just walked on almost in Camplin. Yeah. Was yeah. he spreading diseases amongst the land? Was he? No, I worry about that Uncle Haji thing, though. You know, or from what they were saying, he was living in the desert. I mean, was yeah, if he was, if he was just in the middle, in the, in the middle of the desert, just being alone, that's what was he bother. doing to bother anybody? Stick it up, man. Let it be. Yeah. So, like, I have to have a shower every day because I don't like smelling bad. I don't like being dirty. I think at a certain point you just don't care anymore. Like at that right. point, you're just like you committed to it. It's a decision. I, yeah, it's all me, man. This is me. This is. I go once a month now. I mean, what the hell, you know? Right. I mean, <laughs> if I get clean, I will die. Yeah. So it's funny, like thinking medically about that. So one, is it just a coincidence that they washed him? And I mean, he's 94. He could have died literally from anything. Anything. Stress. Right. Anything. Yeah. He could Got have him. died from anything. But there's a there's a there's actually a decompression. Not decompression sickness, but like people who get encased in like concrete or like in silos or things like that. Mm-hmm. When they actually like bring them out of it, there's a chance that they will go into cardiac arrest from the decompression of the compression that they're in. It so opens. Like, I think about, it opens like, everything else, and blood pressure goes. Outside of this person, it was so was just like keeping him alive, and they washed it all away, and that's what killed them. They just needed to leave the dirt there. <laughs> I mean, I, I get what you're saying because there, you constantly hear about the the, natu- the body's natural uh, immunity to stuff. You know, like did yeah. this really build up that much immunity to where? Actually, washing him made him sicker. Yeah, because the that, he was no. Used. The Iranian state government is doing tests <laughs> on his body right now to find like <laughs> the secret immunological cures for things because he has the best like immune system ever. I mean, you know. Oh, I can imagine the gathering. I can imagine the renegade rebel flyers now pa- plastered on the alleys in Iran of <laughs> Uncle Haji. <laughs> I know a few people that would that would follow. Don't them. shower. Yeah. Smoke dumb. Like that. Just don't shower ever. <laughs> well, so my my daughter sent. We have a family chat on Facebook where we just send pictures and videos of each other all day, and um, she sent a picture of Dorothy, my granddaughter, at the uh, at the doctor's office, and she was crawling around on the floor, and she was happy, and I'm thinking. She's crawling on the floor in the doctor's office. And at first I kind of got grossed out by it, but then I thought about it. I'm like, Uncle Haji. Um. <laughs> you give her a bath for a week. But I got thinking about it. I'm like, actually, actually, that's probably how you're going to boost her immune system, by letting her get dirty a little bit and then fighting something off. There was off. even another video where uh, she gave, like, her dog the peanut butter jar, and then, like, she went back and found and, and found uh, her daughter just eating after... Out of the peanut butter jar. Yeah, after the peanut butter jar, after the dog was all slobbering it. And I'm like, how is she not sick from this? Wait, Michaela? 
Dorothy was eating from the peanut butter jar that the dog was licking. I missed that video. Wait a minute. You didn't. Wait a minute. We've all. I well, I don't know about you guys, but we've all shared uh, an ice cream cone with a dog. Oh yeah, all of us have done that. All of us. Every single. Seriously, have you? I'm. I'm not being a jerk. Have you? Never. No. Really? Well, we did. Oh share man, some... you poor dog! We... I'm telling you, you no wonder you want affection. <laughs> go, we... go smell his mouth. Go <laughs> smell his mouth and tell me you'd, you'd eat after that. We we did share salami with the cat a couple weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so there you go. <laughs> Good oh. God, you ever dig in the dirt out back? Oh yeah. I mean, you gotta but... remember when we were kids, there was so much stuff that we ate or did that. I mean, I dare you to eat that bug. Oh, no, no, I'm not going to. Well, it's a double dog dare. Oh, no. It's too many dogs. Here comes the triple dog. You know. You never ate a bug? Nothing? I've eaten bugs. Worms. Crickets. But if I did that now, I'd get sick. Why? I'm not Uncle Hachi. I'm the reverse of Uncle Hachi. He's fragile, I have to stay clean to be able to survive. He's taken too many showers. He's just bad dirty. You didn't keep a padlock on the shower, did you? Nephew Haji. Nephew That's the reverse of Uncle Haji. Oh, so guys, one of the other things we want to talk about, this was Dan's suggestion during the week. He sent us to our group chat about uh, about sports and how sometimes fan loyalty can cause rivalry between relationships. Let me just turn my coat inside out real quick. What do you... Yeah, he's, he's <laughs> wearing, wearing his Uh-oh. Bill's jacket. No, now, no, no. now, I have no allegiance to any any sports team. Right. I am I am neutral. So what what is it that, that brings up the topic for you? Okay, so, like... I love, I absolutely love my dad. I love him, and he is a diehard Steelers fan. But, like... <laughs> Dan Carriage is already like, no, we're out. No, come on. It's not just my dad. It's any, I know, I pity any diehard of, fan, honestly. A lot of sports <laughs> fans that I know that are truly, like, into the sport that they love are just so ingrained in it that they feel that they're that involved that it's like we won we lost the we should fire the coach and we should do this and you know if i was the coach i'd have taken that player out and put him in and on their knees in front of the the tv praying to for the team to win the game and i'm like it just i don't understand it i don't know they're worse at kids games I wish that I did. I just don't. I don't. Oh no, you don't, don't want to. No, you don't want to. I don't I mean, recognize that passion in the game when their team loses and everything. Have yeah. you ever seen like those guys on TV that like smash their TV? Where do you think that that foam brick came from? Yeah. Well. Or yeah. the damn it doll. Yeah. <laughs> and it, I think, but then like, you're like, you're like, almost worshiping these people who play on a field. For however long and get paid millions of dollars and to run around a really it's just a bunch of free getting paid yeah. a bunch of money. Like there's athleticism in it, and don't get me wrong, there is. But like the like the pomp and circumstance that surrounds it all just drives me over the edge. And to be that emotionally invested in it and to care that much, like I have far bigger things to worry about in my life than to wear bingo the same bingo right there whoa whoa dan stop 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 just for a second you have far bigger things to worry about and you're not afraid to worry about those bigger things a lot of people use this in sports that's my shield Mm. it's escapism yeah that's what it is 
it, yeah, well, it, it, it gives well, people consequential to be mad about. Yeah, <laughs> and it gives people. So you know, there, there's the big thing where guys don't cry. But you know what? When their team, you know, gets oh. the game, you know, when they when they make the World Series, you my know, my father shed a tear when Steelers win the Super Bowl. And right, that's no lie. Right, yeah. and and so like it almost gives them. It's an identity. Well, it, it gives them an identity, something to identify with, a tribe to belong to, which we all yeah. crave and we all want. We know that that's the case. We want that, it, that community, that connection. It also gives them that outlet <laughs> to allow their emotions to come out because, okay, well, let's talk about that for a minute, right? As men, we our default emotion is usually anger, right? Or like, stoicism. Right. But But even if you're pretty stoic and you keep it all... If if you're gonna get emotional, the emotion that comes out first is usually anger, right? I think it's yeah, I'm the person. Yeah, I think yeah, I'll agree yeah, with you. For me, it's usually yeah. laughter. For me, it's, it's anger <laughs> for sure. So, but I I think that having so and I I am not a sports fan either. I'm kind of like like I can watch a game and enjoy a game. Right. Yeah. But I, I have the the only loyalty that I would say that I have is to the Cardinals because uh, my dad was from St. Louis. And when I grew up, I had a St. Louis ball cap yeah. and I have always loved the Cardinals. One of my good friends from high school played. He was a pitcher for the Cardinals. Josh. Wow. Kenny. Yeah. Uh, he played when they won the World Series. Like, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, he played and pitched in that game. Um, and so, like, I have a little bit of loyalty, but honestly, not even enough to watch a game. <laughs> You know, like, like, I, I, like, I'm not gonna. I, I don't pay for the extra package to have streaming sports on my TV. I, I don't care about it that much. But I can understand why some people get attached to it, why they love it, why it means so much to them. But I do think they go overboard. Some people get overboard. They're extremely overpaid, for sure. I mean, the people that play it—that's <laughs> a whole new, that's understand. a whole different discussion, yeah, I right? Don't yeah, I understand that whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, do you think these are our high school kids getting paid in college the same? No. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, I think that. Um, I think that if we are thoughtful about sports and you're like yeah okay this is fun let me enjoy this that's one thing you know i mean look i i could tell you every character probably that exists in the star wars universe like i mean i that's something i get excited about i love it you know so i get it people also get equally as mad about stuff like that Mm -hmm. oh yeah oh my goodness because star wars has well star wars and sports are our in in like Like, tolkien or marvel superheroes they are they those things are our gods I'm using a lowercase g there, and I'm not saying that they're my god. I'm just saying that we we see them mythologically. We see them as heroes. We see them as the things that we almost worship. We venerate them. We look at them and and hold them in high regard. We know all of their stats, all of the things about them. We, we care more. Some people care more about the lives of those individuals than I think they do their own. Like... Who's getting a divorce and who's married and who does this and they're who does that? They're invested in it more than they're, they're yes. invested in themselves. Yeah, exactly. It's escape to me, again. I care more about the author. Tolkien did a fantastic job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. But at the same time, if somebody makes a, an adaptation of Tolkien and they change his story a little bit, 
people get upset. I'm not going to get upset. I'm like, no, because there's no, you know, it's like when the first Lord of the Rings came out, it's like, man, they did a fantastic job with what they had to work with. Because I know the story inside and out. You know, I've read the book, I don't know how many times. And it would be a probably a 45-hour movie series, mm-hmm. and each one would be three hours at least mm-hmm. to include everything in, in Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. You know, at least that long, if not more. You know, so... Yeah. yeah, and that's the thing, is like, when... I think that what the, all of that, the sports, the, the, the author, movie, all of, you know, all of that stuff together, I think what it identifies is, one, we want... This is this is Josh's hot take. Are you ready? I think it Uh-oh. identifies that all of us, one, crave something to worship, right? Absolutely. We crave something to worship. Two, <clears throat> we crave the community and the brotherhood that we get when we connect with those things. And three, we also have a tendency to get things out of order and <laughs> attach ourselves to things to a degree that is not in a, in a healthy balance. I think those are valid conclusions to make. Yeah. It's very much human nature. To a T, I think. And I don't think there's anything wrong with getting excited about Tolkien or getting excited about the Bills or the Steelers or the car. You can get excited about it enjoy it. Just so when it becomes, the, like you said, when it becomes to the point where... It's where you're jumping off a car hood onto a table. Belly <laughs> <laughs> clock table. Yeah, yeah. Well, and look, I mean, the domestic violence rates go through the roof on a night that a, mm-hmm. a sports team loses. Yep. Well, you know? Because you're, hey, people are drunk and belligerent. And, and, and they're upset. Yeah, and they're mad. Yeah. <laughs> when it becomes your identity, I think it becomes dangerous. Yeah. That's the case with a lot maybe of like, things. Maybe not physically dangerous, but like dangerous in all in the in, it, you know. It can become physically dangerous, yeah. but it does. Yeah. yeah. If you can't root your identity in yourself and your yeah. beliefs and things like that, then you if you try to root it in other things, it just doesn't go well. The other thing too is think about this. We're in pretty sad shape for heroes mm. mm-hmm. in this world right now. Mm-hmm. You know. You know, we used to have military men or presidents or uh, doctors or people like that we used to look up to. People like George Washington Carver or or President Lincoln or, or stuff like that. But we don't teach about those heroes anymore. We don't venerate those heroes. And that, like you said, there's almost nobody that I can even think of. Unless, you know, I can, I can sit back and I can think of the guys over in Afghanistan and Iraq and stuff like that. They're Medal of Honor recipients, things like that. Those are heroes to me. The, the guys that wander around over, you know, I've talked about this before, over at Leak with one or two less limbs than the rest of us have, where you see the guys on the tunnels, the towers ads, stuff like that. Those guys are heroes to me because they, they literally, maybe mentally, stood up and keep going on in the face of overwhelming odds. You know, so to me, we're in pretty sad shape for heroes. What do we really have, well, Doctor Fauci? I think current, I think current culture has really done a. a well, it depends on which side of the the bench you sit on. We either did a really good job of getting rid of all of the heroes that we thought were heroes, or eliminated all of the heroes that were your heroes because we've gone through this like retrospective look at history and instead of just 
again, recognizing that, yes, bad things happened, but there were also good things that There happened. was also context. It, mm-hmm. Exactly. The, they've, they've stripped the context out of it and only looked at the individual action and have you know, moved away from looking at them as heroes and then all we are pinpointing now are, well, yeah, they were a good guy, but look at all the bad things that they did. Or look at all of the things that may not have been so great. But they don't provide or understand or are willing to listen to the context in which all of those things happened. Well, also, It's not a singular event. Also, as well, as uh, it depends on which news station you're watching well, as well. to... Who's gonna make yeah. who they want to be your hero? Yeah, as well. Well, and, you know, again, not to get like super down the political whole kind of thing here. Yeah, but, like, yeah I'm not Christopher Columbus is a perfect example. Founded the Americas, right? We wouldn't necessarily exist without the whatever. You know, founded some land that we will eventually, several hundreds of years later, live on pretty decent discovery as far as what happened. Like, I'll and give that as a check mark in the good column. The things he did to the people he found when he got here, really absolutely terrible. If you look at what history really writes about what happened, it wasn't great. What he did wasn't cool. But you can't... I don't think it's fair to strip away all of the... like the. You know what I mean? To take mm-hmm. that out of... Has anybody ever looked at what happened? You know, have we don't look at what happened across world history. Yeah. The conqueror always came in and overpowered and pushed out and ill-treated the indigenous people. And either they were assimilated or they were killed. Mm-hmm. Very rarely did they ever give them a whole reservation or anything like that or turn them free. And he's or, not the first person to ever do it either. No, he's not. I mean, think of the Romans for crying out loud, or think of the The Greeks and the you know. Think about Genghis and the boys. Every culture has has done some form of imperialism or colonialism. And I think that's what. And I think if you remove the historical lens that you look through to actually learn and understand those things, all that you are left with is what is happening now, which is the. They're bad people, bad people, bad people. And while, yes, they have done bad things, look through the historical lens of that time. If you cast the lens of today on something that happened in 18-whatever, it's always going to look bad because... We know different. We know better. We do better things. We've learned from our mistakes to a point. Just wait. Just wait till 100 years from now if we're still around and they look back... Not us, but if our culture is still around and they look back at this time frame. <laughs> well, just, I mean, just think yeah. about, like, like comedians are getting just absolutely just lambasted for things that they said 10 years ago when, when a joke was okay. Yeah. yeah, well, that's a great example, like, where someone made a joke 10 years ago and it was funny. It was Can funny imagine if, like, Archie Bunker was still on TV? Oh, dear to Lord. Oh, yeah. Stanford and Son. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. Like those fun. those shows would never fly anymore. But in the time, in looking through that context, that historical lens, you, because it was you guys notice Bugs Bunny and Roadrunner's not on anymore. You guys, so on <laughs> on on Disney Plus, which is this, the Disney streaming service, mm-hmm. the Muppet Show is on there. The Muppet Show, 
and it has to have a content warning before it no to make sure that you know that times were different in the 70s when this show was made. <laughs> and there may be things that would be considered insensitive, culturally insensitive today. There's warnings at the beginning of a Pocahontas movie now. Yeah. Oh, you're kidding me. Not kidding. No. no. And the Pocahontas movie, the Pocahontas movie actually, like, 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 it actually portrays the white guys as bad and the Indians as good, but it's still apparently okay. not. We're going to go down this road. We've got to go down this one. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> Little Mermaid, right? Mm-hmm. So we got upset about Little Mermaid changing races in the new live-action movie. It, there she's supposed to be oh, African-American. Or what, yeah. Whatever it might be. So we get mad about the fictitious fish that is half human, half fish in the sea. But we never got upset about Pocahontas, which is really a badly told story in Disney. I mean, like, she was underage, a captive. She was, like, I mean, there were a whole lot. It wasn't, like, all paint the colors of the wind and happy trees and animals and the Indian girl finds love. She didn't Ooh. even she didn't even exactly. fall for the guy that she fell for in the movie. Yeah, no, exactly. She was like, like forcibly taken to England. Like if we want to get upset about something, let's get upset about the things that we really didn't get right. Not the fictitious half person, half fish person so, in the sea. So I have a theory on that. I did not see and I'm I mean I'm on the internet a lot and I see a lot of different perspectives. I never saw one single person in real life actually complaining about what color the mermaid was. No. I only saw people mad about people mad yeah. that weren't mad. So I, I think saw, it's all just... I saw people upset that that the actress that they hired wasn't doing a very good job of playing the role, but they weren't mad about the race that she was. <laughs> people said that she looked like a fish because her eyes were too far apart, which I thought was really funny. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, jeez. I thought that was really funny. <laughs> Wow. Oh, well, actually, guys, this is a perfect segue to the next thing on our list. <laughs> Bullying. <laughs> hey, yeah. I didn't come I up with that, that he would, I'm I just saying. He was trying to be mean. Somebody, somebody, else, somebody else said somebody that. Somebody else said <laughs> You were just providing content. It's, but it was a good, it's a good segue. It is, it is. That also, thing is, though, his example is the example of meanness, not bullying. Okay. There's a difference. So tell me, what, what is, is the difference? difference? Bullying is... A behavior where you are trying consistently, consistently, in other words, continuously, to... Not just like a one-time thing. Yeah, it's not a one-time thing that... It, it, anyways, it, it's you're trying to hurt somebody, be it physically, mentally, uh, whatever... And and you and it's it's day after day after time after time. Meanness is is a one 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 shot. You know, geez, or you know, it's like the kid in class. You got an F, boy, are you dumb? That's meanness. That's not bullying. Bullying is hey, give me your lunch money. You give me your lunch money, or I'm gonna kick you behind. Or or going down the hall and pushing the kid into the lockers, or knocking his books on the floor constantly. That's that's bullying. Or on on cyberbullying, hey, you're worthless, you're, you know, I don't know why you're still alive, I don't know why you even contacted me to try to date me, I, you know, the whole nine yards, that's bullying. Meanness is a whole different story. And one of the things I came across, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to a lot of people about this subject because I'm going to be, I'm going to be talking to the kids in the 21st century, did not realize what I was biting off, but 
I think because we've talked so much about bullying that anything that would be the mean kid saying something to you, or it could be your best friend saying something, hey, you stupid, or, you know, what would you wear those clothes for? You know, whatever. That's, that's more meanness than it is bullying. It's not consistent. It's two guys busting each other's chops, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. That's, that's meanness. It's not bullying. So all bullying is meanness, but not all meanness is bullying. That's a good. Yeah, I would, I would, I would agree with that. Yeah. So bullying I, is meanness. Yeah. I was bullied really bad in school. Um, when I was in kindergarten, there were some teenage boys that would steal my hat and throw it on the top of the the soda machine at the bus stop, and then then they started. And this happened on multiple occasions where they would take a, they had a little box of matches and they would light the match and put it out on the back of my neck. Yeah, yeah. And for whatever reason, and I'm not sure why, this might take a lot of therapy to sort it out, I just assumed that this was my problem. So I didn't tell anybody. I just put up with it. How old were you? Kindergarten. This was in the first month of school. Yeah, you you would assume this is your problem. Yeah. And a lot of little kids try know. to fix it. Yeah. You wouldn't know any better. I didn't know any better. I just yeah. assumed this is what it's like. And so I, you know, I, and it, I mean, and it continued and it only just got worse, you know, I mean, maybe not as physically worse, but I'd get shoved in lockers. I'd get pushed around. I'd get, the kids knew which names to call me to get me upset enough to fight. You know, they knew, you know, I, 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 and I fought a lot to protect myself, to defend myself. Um, but so as a kid, I was bullied all the way up until the when I got to the place where I was big enough to hurt them if they hurt me, and then they left me alone. So I didn't have to fight after eighth grade because I could take I could hold my own. A bully will only go as far as you let him. Right, and I learned how to not let them. Yeah. You know, it took a while, but um, from that point on, and I think this is true actually. Like I've I've always I understand this now, and I think I learned it then, but didn't know the words. Is that you allow people you teach people and allow people how they treat you people treat you according to the way that you allow or according to the degree that you allow and when you stop allowing it it stops if you can't physically yeah. stop it then you enlist the help that you need to stop it but yeah how people treat you you are able to control and a lot of times you also end up inviting it in because you don't know or understand i'm not saying that everything that happens to you if you're being bullied is your fault but a lot of times people will treat you you know, if, if you if you walk into the room and you act weak, you know, you know, you act uh, a certain way or you, you know, you behave a certain way. A lot of times you went, I, 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 there were things I would do that would cause and trigger the other kids to need to step up and put me in my place or whatever. And I didn't know or understand it then. But as a kid, I hadn't learned all those social things that you're supposed to get and know. So if I fast forward, I'm in college and I've got these great guys that live in my dorm. We did everything together. We were buddies. And the one of them just constantly picked on me and said mean things, mean things, meanness. It was consistent, right? But I was not used to the way that guys bust each other's balls, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, so for me, it, it got to be too much. And I finally, I had enough. And I told him, you need to knock this off. I think one time it started, it, we actually started to get kind of physical over the whole thing. Um, 
and then it, we ended up working it out, and that was the end of it. But I had to, I had to draw a line and say, I don't want to be talked to this way. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, yeah. it's inappropriate. And now that I, later on, as I grew and as I, you know, grew into a man, and I, I started to be more secure in who I was, the words didn't bother me as much. And I actually, now it, I realize it's kind of fun to tease a little bit. You know, yeah. And, and, and we tease each other a little bit, and we also though have to balance that with, you know. Do I actually care about this person? Am I actually talking to the person, you know, in a way that, you know, am, am I trying to hurt him? You know, I, I need to, to... Or just tweak. Right, yeah. right. Like, you know, there's a little bit of that that, that is... It, there's a little bit of the, the, the teasing that is a little bit of camaraderie, you know? Yeah, there is. Yeah, you're, you're right. Yeah. And, yeah. and when I look back on my kid experience as a child, some of that may have been attempts at that, too. But I didn't know better. Yeah. Not the burning matches, but some of the kids saying mean things to me. Some of that may have been attempts at at camaraderie that I didn't understand because my lens from a very first week in school had been had been twisted into thinking that everybody was against me. You're in defense mode. Yeah. Right. Constantly. Yeah. I was at war when I was at school. So mm-hmm. so the bullying thing, like I totally get it. I totally like like I've been there and when I see some of the stuff that some of these kids have to deal with, it's like, are you kidding me? I remember not wanting to go to school. Did I you would find every reason not to go? Oh, me too. Yeah. I would. I would. I would run a list of reasons not to go to school for weeks. <clears throat> that happened to my daughter. I, she was getting bullied so bad she ended up dropping out. I mean, like, I was the fat, chubby kid with big glasses and couldn't read well. I was made fun of all the way up until I think it was like ninth grade and you know in my high school our football team wasn't really that great so like our marching band and show choir and things were like what popular kids did and as soon as I fell into that group it kind of quelled itself a little bit I mean then you got the well dance and choir and all this you know what I mean like all this that kind of end of it but the like the other side of it kind of ended pretty quickly because I was then with the in crowd so even though I didn't necessarily belong with them I was treated as the rest of them because I assimilated very easily Mm -hmm. with them but I mean I remember for I mean all through grade school and then all through probably like half of high school so up to like ninth grade and then like in ninth grade I had a teacher who was like you don't need to be in so for almost all of my school career I was in what you would consider like the slower kids classes so like material was taught a little bit slower not everybody in the room you know what i mean like it was just that version of the class and (laughs) finally like i had a history teacher she looked at me and i she had to all the teachers had to sign off on the next version of the class that they were so like she taught history she had to sign off on my next history class that i was going to take the next year to say that she like approved that i would be able to do that and I took my paper up to her and she's like, why are you taking this class? She's like, you are far and above what this class is going to entail. You need to take the advanced class because that's where you should be. She's like, go there. And I was, I, because that class put me with all of the people who bullied me. 
because that's who was bullying me. The right. smart kids, the ones who were the most popular, were the, yeah. like all of that. Were they were the ones in the advanced class, and so then when like we started, I started recognizing kind of in myself that I can compete with them on a level of not only my intelligence but my personality fit as well. And as soon as I kind of gained that perspective in myself and that also the heck with you, I don't care. You can do whatever you want. I mean, they would I could hear them talking behind me and what does it matter? Their their opinion of me doesn't change who I am or what I'm going to do. Dog barks, wagon keeps going. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, and I think that the like, I think the severity of bullying from when I was a kid to what the severity of bullying can get to now is far different. It is. I feel that there's a much higher severity of <clears throat> where how far you push that envelope of bullying somebody. I was never physically hurt. I was never, like, threatened with bodily harm. I wasn't told that I would be better off dead. I wasn't... I wasn't given that imagery. I wasn't given that position. You know, I was made fun of because I was a fat, chubby kid in choir with big glasses, and I uh, primarily hung out with more women than men, so then I was automatically the gay kid. Yeah. How old are you? Tw- no, sorry, 30. I just 30, 30, okay. I grew up in the old second ward. South Avenue, Potter Street, Clarence Street, Congress Street, that old. Okay. Um... We hung out, in the, in the, and I was told today it's not the right word to use anymore, but our, we had a bunch of friends, you know, our parents said, hey, take your gang and go someplace else. wasn't the same connotation as a gang is today. Yeah, yeah like a gang a group Well, of I was told we don't that. use those words anymore. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, gang means something different now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Talk about 1984. I, I still yeah. know it's right. <laughs> so, anyways, but bullies, when I was a kid, you had to be pretty bad badass to be a bully yeah. because there was always somebody in the neighborhood or a couple of the kids in the neighborhood that weren't going to let you go very far yeah mm-hmm. so bullies, a bigger batter. bullies learned early that hey I can't get away with this a whole lot mm-hmm. I need to stop it so the, the amount of bullies that, that moved up through the ranks in school there weren't that many of them yeah and today because the first time you you double up a fist and pop somebody for something like that, a kid does is like, oh my god, oh my god, it's assault! Oh, we gotta we gotta bust the kid, we gotta do this, send him off to reform school and and everything like that. Yeah. Our parents let us work it out. You came home with a bloody nose, okay? Who was this? How'd you get the bloody nose? Was it? Did you throw the first punch? You know, stuff like that. While I would let it go with my kids. Nowadays, you're liable to get shot. Yeah, you're, the parents nowadays are, are, are hover over their kids so protectively all the time that I don't think this happens anymore. The, the, the kids don't learn how to take care of it themselves. I think I don't think they're allowed. I don't think. No, they aren't. They aren't allowed. They're not afforded the ability to take no. care of it themselves. And by taking care of it themselves, they feel that they are then in empowered. In, in, in turn, becoming 
Yeah. Well, everybody feels because that that kid did it. He's violent. Yeah. We need to medicate him. That's exactly. Or yes. or yes. we got to counsel the heck out of him or so. When the yeah. kid, in truth, is doing nothing more than Stick up. sticking up for himself. Yeah. And that's part of that socio emotional behavior that they're teaching in kindergarten now that I was talking about talking to him earlier. Yeah. I, that's the word I learned today. Yeah. And, and I kind of went, huh? Is exactly where I was with it. It's like, what is this? Yeah. I, yeah, that, it's, become a, it's become a use your words um, as, as the way of there, fixing things nowadays. What, what do we teach the scouts? Always try to work your way out of it. Yes. You know, I'm not trying to jump right to a fight. No, we'll try to work it out. If you can't, though, that's hey, if you if you yeah. got to go, if you got to go to fish, then you go to fish. You know, and and that's it. You work it out. And geez, and, and with our with our group, it was yeah. You might be in a knock them down, drag them out for a ball one day. The next day, your best buddies and taking on the world together. Mm-hmm. Were you about to say something, man? I'm sorry. Oh, I was I was I was going to say I think that. Over the course of the generations, as I think bullying is progress- progressively getting more and more, I guess, intense, or at least psychologically, more and more people are, are dealing with it less and less, and so they're, they're, they have that fear, and so that's how they treat their kids, is that, oh no, I hope they don't get bullied, so let's protect them instead of teaching them how to defend themselves. And so, after every generation, it keeps getting worse and worse. I think, too, is there's so many more ways to bully people than there was back in the day. There back is, the day yeah. Was, you just said something in school, or you did something in school. Nowadays, you can do it online, you can do it... Yeah, you had to 24-7. Yeah. Everything. You had I mean, 24-7, so it could be different. when there's sleep. But the other thing, too, is I think everything gets labeled bullying. Mm-hmm. And we talked about that at the beginning yeah, of this, yeah, this segment. That... Whether it's 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 just another kid busting on a kid, saying, "Hey, you know, your shoes are on the wrong feet," or whatever, you know. Uh, but oh my God, he's bullying him. No, he's not. He's being mean, being a or, jerk. Or it could just be his way of doing a, a funny joke to the kid, trying to make friends with him. That's how that's yeah. how I used to make friends. Yeah, busting on somebody. Even nowadays, it's a lot more common than than just being mean. People do that, and they don't know whether to expect how the other person reacts. You know, like the the other person might react, oh, this is a mean thing, and then they start a war, and then they're just both go at being mean to each other forever. Or they, they take it well, and then they shrug it off. But I guess nowadays, it's a lot more common for people to... To get upset about stuff like that. You know, we go back to the, the sports thing. Somebody told me they were such and such a fan, and I looked at him. I said, "I'm sorry." <laughs> <laughs> oh, how dare you! Wow. I was like, "Come on, man! I'm a Raiders fan. How worse can it get? <laughs> yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, you know." So, Dan, you said that um, you talked about when you were growing up. You know, you know, if the the, the adults in the room let you settle the problem, let you let you take care yeah, of it. Yeah, we, we took care of business. And, and it was the same thing when I was a kid, you know, there were certain, and, and let's say they were mostly unspoken rules, but there were rules uh, that we had. I mean, you know, 
one, you talked about, did you throw the first punch? You know, you don't throw the first punch. You weren't punch. allowed to do that. You weren't allowed to throw the first punch. But you sure as heck better throw the last punch. <laughs> yeah, you better, finish, but, you better finish the job or give a good accounting of yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, the, but the rule was, you know, you know, you were allowed to defend yourself. I had a certain set of rules, you know, like, one, if somebody, if somebody puts their hands on you, you have a right to defend yourself. Mm-hmm. If somebody calls your mother a name, you have a right to defend her honor. Absolutely. There were certain things that Absolutely. you, you know, you, you know, and my dad was like, look, if they make fun of me, I don't care. Don't let them make fun of your mom. Don't let them pick on your little brother. Or Kevin yeah. parade your little sister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't let them, you don't let them, you know, if you see, if you see another kid that's weaker and smaller getting picked on, you stand up for him, even if you don't like him. Yeah. You know, so there's certain things that we were told to do and, you know, and in and, and those days, when the teachers saw it, they knew. They knew what was happening, and they said, okay, somewhere along the line, this idea, and this might get me in trouble from somebody, but somebody along the this idea that violence is never the answer became a very real philosophy that our culture has adopted. And in high school, if you got in a beef with somebody, you took it over to the playground. Nine times out of ten, there was a teacher standing there watching to make sure it stayed equal. Yeah. If it started getting one-sided, it come okay, it, it stops. Yep. Or if more it people stops. joined in, it wasn't a duel anymore. No, it was. It's it stopped. Or if yeah. the kid was like, it was the same with us. Like we'd be at the flagpole, and there was always a teacher watching from a distance. And if it got to the point where somebody's about to get seriously hurt, the teacher steps in and he busts it up. You know, most of our fights were seriously only two or three punches. And then, and, then, and then it got busted up. Yeah. But in the act of doing that, it allowed... It, Things were taken care of. The best cure for a bully is a punch in the nose. And Generally, the, yeah. And the best cure for a bullied kid is to be able to throw that punch. Okay, they're not bullied kids because anymore. They're not victims anymore either. They're targets. Well, then targets. it becomes... Targets. Well, I don't want Target to bully. that kid again because... He punched me. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit more, and I can I, I, I bit off more. I can chew right there, yeah. you know. Yeah. And it's like this person's gonna fight back. Why would I bother? Yeah. yeah. It, or every time, every time I bully this kid, man, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna put him in the dirt again. And finally, you're gonna get tired of it. And it's like, mm-hmm. Jesus, just leave me alone. Yeah. And, you know. And, and I'm, I, I understand, right, from an educational perspective, trying to administrate a school full of kids, why that can be very difficult. To maintain, and and I mean, I mean, it wasn't for fifty years, a hundred years. That's the way we handled it. But I can understand where it's, especially if you are of the mindset that violence is always evil and violence is always wrong. You know, then then you don't want kids settling it for themselves. You need to step in, and I think that's what's happened. And what what ends up happening is, I think inevitably, uh, a kid somewhere is going to retaliate to protect himself. Or defend himself. I'm wondering if that is part of the reasons for the school shooting. Yeah, I yeah. Just, and I, and that to I me that, that that comes down to to the point where now they to the out. ultimate victimhood. Yep. By God, I'm going to settle this with all the people that have caused yep. me grief. And, they snap. Yeah. And, and snap and 
I don't think, especially for the kids that are getting killed before we can talk to them and find out, you know, take their take their brain apart and, and look at all the pieces. What 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 started this? What 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 made you decide you were going to do this particular thing? I, I'd love to know this 19 year old that just got killed. What made him do what he did? He came back to the school he was already graduated from. You know, and and I think that may be an act of of ultimate victimhood. Yeah. Current. I mean, I could. Current definitions be damned. Well, I mean, I think if you think about like the stratosphere of bullying, and Jason, you kind of like touched on it. You know, back in the day, bullying had to be done in person, right? Mm -hmm. Had to be face to face, or at least in the same building. You know, you talked about me in your class, and I heard about it three periods later, and. We squared up at the playground, and it's all over with, right? And but it was it was interpersonal. We 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 had we had a face to the name. We knew who it was. We knew what was going on. The stratosphere of bullying has exploded to literally the universe, right? Because oh yeah, guaranteed. It's not limited to it's not limited to just your your circle of school people. Now it goes to your social worldwide social circle. The whole world right? could be against because you. I could make a post about Josh right now and share it on my Facebook page and it could be shared thousands of times and make it to millions of people. It won't though, because I'm not that exciting. Right? How many times though have you started no, to say something about you that's pretty that exciting? Social stratosphere has very much changed because you are now in contact with right. the world. hundreds of people at one one click of a, a button. So your audience and your target got a your target got a whole lot more pinpoint and your audience got a whole lot bigger. Yeah. You now can perform for thousands of people rather than for the five people in the schoolyard who are interested in watching what your beef is. And I think that that's the dangerous part. Because somebody else? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we've got uh, Robert Thompson. I uh, love Thomas. love Robert. Do you remember Rob from the Forge? She's the guy yeah. with one eye. Oh, I love yeah. Rob. Rob's a great, great guy. Yeah, you remember yeah, Rob. Yeah, Rob's great. Uh, Rob says, uh, and he, he's probably like, hey, now, why are you making fun of my one eye? Sorry, Rob, I'm not bullying you, I promise. <laughs> Rob he only says, said it the one time, so he's just being mean. <laughs> Rob says, when I was in school, mid to late 80s, the seniors shoved us into lockers and throwing all of the books down the hallway... There would be stuff everywhere. If we fought back, they would gang up on you. You know, I, I realize I don't have my reading glasses on. Abe, help me out. Can you see that? Uh, took a no, I can lean over. If we two and a half. Yeah, mine are two and a half. Oh, that's I can right. share glasses now. Okay. Look at that. Check that out. Okay. That work for you. That's great. Thank you. Okay. There would be stuff everywhere. If we fought back, they would gang up on you, and you took a beating. If we said anything to anyone, they would tell us to suck it up. They were the hook, or the, they were the hawks. And they got away with it. I'm thinking about jocks. Jocks, jocks. Yeah. yeah, and that's bullying. Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely different than the nonsense that goes on. But you know, like like I heard a story recently of a kid who um, sent a, another kid a message that said something like, "like kill yourself" in a nasty slur, you know, because he was upset that this kid got something that, that he didn't get. I think that's a safe way to say the story without incriminating anybody. And, like, you know, I know that there are adults that have faced murder charges because they told their significant other to kill themselves and then the person killed themselves. Yeah. You know, like, that's a legitimate issue. Like, 
you know, so there is bullying that's happening amongst, you know, that cyberbullying. It goes deeper than just you can imagine, and I think it has a, a deeper impact than even even getting shoved in a locker or thrown in a garbage can. You Here's know? the question: What do we do? Because we can talk about it all day, but like, I mean, how is this ever going to stop? When we finally put a foot down and say no more. Uh, yeah, it's the same, it's the that's, same concept as it is then as it is now. You've got to mm-hmm. say, I, I, I've had enough, I ain't going to take it. It's, it's where we go to, to Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat and all these guys and say, hey, look, you know, within the bounds of the First Amendment, this has gone past free speech. This is into a realm of hurt speech. That, that probably shouldn't be let go or it needs to be brought to somebody's attention. Let's mm-hmm. put it that way. Whether it's it's law enforcement or uh, or somebody in the school, it's see something, say something. And so many people don't for fear of retaliation mm-hmm. or I don't want to get involved where I'd rather just stand off and fill me with my iPhone, you know, or your phone. Yeah. It's the same same situation. You gotta fight back somehow, and not mm-hmm. and not physically. You're fighting back with your words. You know, then you know you know you block that person. I block people constantly on yeah. online that that use hurt speech. Uh, I, I you know hey it's, I don't care. It doesn't bother me in the least. You want to be stupid? I'm then you're going to suffer the consequences. I, I do think that there is a. You know the the slightly libertarian part of myself <laughs> is concerned about how we define, you know, hurt speech, hurt speech, yeah. and hate speech, and all these things because you know legally, uh, yeah. from the legal perspective, freedom is always more important than the other yes. end of it, mm-hmm. and and I think part of that also may be in the freedom where the freedom to defend yourself and the freedom to stand up for yourself and the freedom to make the you know. Those things, I think, may be most of the, the, the solution to the problems. I also know when, you, when I'm thinking about my children. Now, we did something radical. My wife was also bullied when she grew up pretty badly as well. You know, I don't know if it was as physical as mine was, but she, she was picked on mercilessly. And um, we decided for a number of reasons, and that was one of them, that we were going to homeschool our kids. Now, that's a radical decision to make. Now, I would say, you know, you know, another example of a time I was bullied, by the way, I had a gym teacher. I was in kindergarten. I didn't know how to tie my shoes really well. And I was, you're supposed to know that before you get to kindergarten. But I, guys, I buy elastic shoelaces now as an adult so that I don't have to tie my shoes. <laughs> like, I'm like, I don't want, it's a pain in the butt. I don't like it. I've never liked it. But this gym teacher, I just asked him for help because I was struggling to get him tied. He tied them together, and then I went and I went to run across the gym, and I fell down and got a bloody lip, and the blood splurted all over. And he laughed at me. Mm. It sucks because his wife was a, a, also a gym teacher in, in high school, and she was such a kind and loving and generous and wonderful woman. I hated gym class, and then I had her, and I'm like, oh, I think I know this is. I was in Port Allegheny. I'm, I'm saying it out loud, and I don't want to say anymore because I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to dishonor yeah. this wonderful woman. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean with a name because I don't want to dishonor her because her husband was so mean to me as a kid. But if anybody's listening that knows them, they probably know who it is because 
I, what I found out later is I realized that, you know, and like if you didn't wear the right clothes to gym class, if you're a little boy, he'd go in the back and he'd pull out like this ugly plaid dress on a hanger and he'd hold it up to your neck and say, we're going to make you wear this today oh, since sad. you didn't wear the right gym clothes. So, you know, I would say that, you know, so when we made the decision to homeschool, there was a lot of reasons. Our personal experience was one of those reasons. The other reasons were, you know, just seeing the direction that, that schools were going, the things that were happening and going on. We just knew this is what, we, what we're supposed to do and what we want to do. It's not for everybody and not everybody can do it. I understand that. But I would say, you know, and, and Abram even kind of hinted on that is that like we protect our kids too much. We maybe even have protected them too much from it. Although I know we tried to get them involved in other things like scouts and swim mm-hmm. lessons and opportunities to get around other kids and, you know, church. But we made a drastic decision in order to try to, to help shape our kids' lives and protect okay, them. Okay, you didn't things. cede the right to raise your children to the schools. Right. Okay, where so many parents nowadays, you talk to the right. bus drivers and the aides and stuff like that, they cede... They, they do that. They see the, that, that right or that job to raise the child to the school because they just can't be bothered for one way, one reason or another. And, and where our parents, you know, we were truly a community to raise a child. I mean, mm-hmm. no matter where you went in the second ward, no doubt. somebody was watching you. That was my growing up, too. And they all had the power to... <laughs> To, to put it and send you home, like, and then you cut, and then you beat again because <laughs> yeah, they told your parents in the fight. But at the same time, you know, Mr. Nope. put the panel down there. Yeah, or, or at the same time though, no matter where you went, it was noontime. You had some place to eat. Darn right, right. It, it might Absolutely. have been jelly sandwiches, but you got fed. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, so and I and I don't see the world as that way anymore. So when you when you brought up. Before we started, and you've kind of, you kind of mentioned it, that I don't remember what's the wording that you used to describe it. Socio emotional upbringing. So that is the is a parent's job. It is. It what, is extremely a parent's well, job. It is, it is a parent's huh? job to 100%. teach their yeah. children how to be a human and how to say no and how to how to not do things and how to do things and how to sit still in class. And all the things that they're supposed to learn in school, before they get to school, they need to know, they need to have that established. But what has happened is not only do you have so many parents who have very little um, intelligence, have very little caring, and we have, this is second and third generation parents who've had no moral compass. Right, no moral compass, no really, no socio-emotional <laughs> upbringing of their own, and so you've got third-generation children going to school whose parents and grandparents had no real concept of right and wrong. Or, or you know, the kids were were babysat by a TV. Right, mm. and so the reason that teachers are having to teach this stuff in schools is because if they don't, they cannot maintain any order in a classroom. Agreed. The only problem is, is that because of curriculums and all that and, and regulations, this stuff has to be regulated. So it's not even up to the parents what the schools teach them. And, and you have teachers who, for whatever reason, have decided that their personal philosophies exactly. yeah. are much more important than whatever any other parent believes and thinks. Which COVID, the pandemic, has uncovered that. Right, because You're taking the blinders off because the parents had to sit and see what was on that laptop 
that these kids were being taught. Mm -hmm. And you see uh, school board after school board after after governor and after this that that's one of the big things that's changed that election. Look at uh, Governor Yunkin in uh, Virginia. That's how he rode in. Was was on the on the school thing, uh, Loudoun County where Jake's the sheriff. That's the one you always see with the two sheriffs taking down the guy that he was he was pissed because his daughter had been molested mm-hmm. by a transgender student that had been transferred to the student because he had done the same thing at, a, at another school. Mm-hmm. You know stuff like this. That whole school board is being replaced. You're seeing it in Michigan. You're seeing it all over the country. Parents are starting to wake up and see this. So maybe just maybe. We might see a change, not this generation, but maybe the next generation. Excuse me. Sorry for that. No problem. But so we may see some changes coming out of this. So there may be a couple of things that were good. I think you're going to see uh, teachers unions. That's that's just not the only thing. I I just think it's not just the teachers involved in their education. Yeah. Right. Still, for sure. I, I because, like I said, we homeschooled our children, and we were crazy for it, and that's okay. Um, I think that even if you're not homeschooling your children, you need to be involved in what they're learning. You need to be in communication with their teachers. You need to be involved in communication with your children. Sit down with your kids and ask them hard questions. Like I had, I had amazing parents who loved me more than anything, and when I went to bed at night and had not told them what I was going through in school, they never asked either because they didn't think to ask. You know, it's like, ask your kids, how'd you do in school today? What'd you do in school today? Yeah, ask them. Necessary, not necessarily, hey, did somebody abuse you in school today or somebody bully sure. you in school? Hey, what'd you do in school yeah, today? But listen to what they have to say yeah. and then and then read between the lines. Yeah, and, and, and ask, and if you're, if you're not getting good answers, you keep asking some questions. And, and yeah. you know, if you just say, how was school today? They're always going to say, Okay. Fine. Kids Fine. aren't walk usually away. the best liars. You can kind of figure that stuff yeah. out. You I mean, know? I came home, guys, I would come home with black eyes, and, and my mom would be like, what happened? Oh, I ran into an auditorium door, which happened a lot, to be honest. That actually did happen, <laughs> so it was believable, and she, ne- and, and she didn't push further. And if, honestly, what I wish would have happened is, from the beginning, that, you know, like I think of in kindergarten, when my mom found out that I was being bullied on the school bus and having, you know, the mm-hmm. matches and stuff, one of the other kids told her. She and dad went down to the school and they said, you're going to move the bus stop to in front of our house. And there's no reason my son should have to walk that far. And you're going to put those kids on another bus. And they did, you know, and. That's how I avoided being bullied by those kids for the rest of my school experience, because my parents got involved. I wish that they would have been more involved, but I don't say that in a way to condemn them. Honestly, I wish I would have told them what I was going through, but I think I would have if they would have known what questions to ask or been a little more persistent. Yeah, and then this is where I think parents are starting to learn a little bit because of COVID. They're actually starting to see these things and pay attention to these things and react to these things where they didn't before. Show up at a school board meeting if if your kids are having problems and talk to them about it. Go to the school administration. I I think your first step is talk to the teacher Mm -hmm. or, or the bus driver. You know, whatever the problem is, you talk to that immediate 
adult that's in charge of that situation and you say, this is what's going on. If you're not satisfied that that's solving the problem, then you go up the chain to the administration. And yeah, you don't, don't threaten, don't, right, right. don't, don't, don't bring a lawyer with you. Or don't anything stand like in that. the middle of the street and stop the school bus. I saw that happen recently. Somebody stood in the middle of the street and stopped the school bus and threatened to kill people. What? Wow. That was locally, guys. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, that was locally. Somebody did that. I think some. I think some adults still need a punch in the face. And, yeah. Well, yeah, sometimes. But, but to be fair, the reason they did it was their kid was being bur- bullied so mercilessly on the school bus, and they were trying to solve the problem. So solve it like an adult, not like a child. And you talk. If if you can't talk to the bus driver to find out what's happening, then you talk to their go boss. Go to the garage supervisor, then you go to the next person would be at... Probably the administration. Yeah, the administration. And if, and if they're not answering your problems, then you go to the school board meeting. That's why it's there, because we elect school boards to oversee the administration of the school. To do our bidding, not their own bidding. Right. And so if you go to the school board meeting and you step up and you say, this is happening, I'm not getting the results, I need some help. And then if you're not getting a result then, then you call your lawyer, yeah. you know? That's where the courts can be. Or, or then you pull your kid out and you homeschool them and you make whatever sacrifices you have to make at that point if you've done everything else you can do. So, yeah, it's I, I've got my work cut out for me. I think I'm, I'm going to be talking to the kids from all four buildings. Mm-hmm. I think the youngest ones are going to be the hardest ones. The, the kindergartners, first and second grades. So you're going to talk to them about bullying. You're going to be. Uh, I'm yeah. still. I'm still going to do it. It's. It's like you know what? I think a couple of people told me. You know, you really had to let the school and just let the school handle it, or to let the school resource officers handle it. It's like. I can't step away from this one. This mm-hmm. this one yeah. I can't step away yeah, from if it. If it's hanging on your heart like that, then you should. It it it, it does hang on my heart. I mean, anybody that knows me. Mm-hmm. No, knows knows that that's the way that I am. So, Dan, one of the guys that's in our chat now is Justin Willoughby. I don't know if you know Justin. Justin Willoughby. Justin, Justin used Willoughby. to weigh. He's a good friend of a bunch of us, but Justin <laughs> used to weigh eight hundred pounds, and he lost six hundred pounds. Yeah. Good job. Yeah, and uh, Justin said that he was bullied in school for being fat, and it's ridiculous. And he said uh, that those moments sure stick with you. It teaches you to not be like that. I was bullied because I was the biggest kid in the neighborhood and everybody wanted a piece of me to show how tough they were. Yeah. I know that Justin has done some speaking in schools as well, and that's kind of the stuff he wants to be doing. So, uh, he'd be about good, bullying and stuff? Yeah. He's, he's talked about bullying, talked uh, about self-esteem and things like that. So, Justin, straight to you, man. Uh, contact me through Josh one way or another. I'd like to talk to you. Is he in Bradford? Not anymore. He just moved out to Texas, but I'll, put, I'll introduce you. Okay, please, please. Texas. I'd like to talk to you. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be so, awesome. I love connections when they come yeah. together. It's like I'm going to sit down with our district magistrate and one of the school resource officers yeah. uh, before the end of the week. And uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of stoked on this. Um, I know I'm not. I don't have educational creds. I got street creds on this. Oh, no, I'm not going to. Yeah. Now they no. they might say you can't tell kids to punch other kids in the nose, but no, and I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm not going to go that way. The big right, thing that right. I want to do is how to how to it's it's like our sensei say how how do you stay out of the fight? Right. Like yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, how do you stay out of it? Yep. Right. You know, without without showing yourself as weak, but how do you stay out of it? What are your resources to deal with it? 
so that it doesn't keep happening. And that's the, that's where it led me down this rabbit hole of the schools, yeah. trying to talk to the people that are there Well, I'm, to find out what resources are available. I'm behind you 100%, Dan. If there's anything I can do to help you in that process, let I me appreciate know. it. I do appreciate it. Um, we did have another question, guys, that we ought to get to real quick, too. Uh, this came, I, I reached out to the guys in the Manlyhood Man Cave, which, by the way, if you're listening, if you're not a member of the Manlyhood Man Cave, it's our private Facebook group. You can join if you're a man. If you have a shared Facebook account so that, like, your name is, like, Joe Beth something, because your name is Joe and your wife's name is Beth and you have a shared Facebook account, while I love you and respect you, you can't be in the man cave because I don't want women in there. This is for men. So, as long as you're a man, you can join the Manlyhood Man Cave. No girls allowed. No girls allowed. Boys club. Uh, but I'm bringing a sign next time, and we're gonna hang it right. Just there. say no girls, no allowed. girls allowed. Well, and I even said though, like, like for this, like, like I even I, I try to talk my wife into joining us for one of these discussions. I think oh, it would be so cool. I do think but yes, she's a girl. But she wouldn't be allowed to be in the Manlyhood Man Cave, but she can be on the Manlyhood Man Cast. Yeah, that's yeah. We can talk to women. I've had other women on the show too. Obviously, but. we need some person. Perspective, but uh, like a good, like, but but anyway, from our Facebook group for men, we got this question from a guy. He said, "What does it mean for a man to be a protector and provider?" It's not a small question. It's not. So, in context of like, so when I think of protector, like, am I like my family, myself, the greater community around me? Like, I mean, like, you know, like as a protector, I could take many. Like, there's many roles that could be for that. Like, I will always protect my family, and by any means necessary. I mean, there's I, there would be no ends that I would stop at to protect my family. There, There is no question about that. And the same rules go with my friends. I mean, everyone in this room, I would protect with as many levels as I, as I could. That would... That would be without question. And the same thing, you know, like, I mean, so my background, since kind of new to the, you know, show, you know, my background is fire and EMS. So, like, I mean, like... I literally volunteer with people to then go protect our communities with, you know, against, you know, house fires and all the other stuff like that. And, you know, that's a different level of protection. But I think that, like, when I think about being a protector, like, I think that is a quality that all men in general possess. It is how they apply it and where they apply it that is important. I think everybody has the ability to be protective and to protect people. I think it's part of our DNA as, as men to, to feel that, that urge to protect everyone around us, not even just our, but our are family. You, but then it becomes, are you protecting the right things? Right, exactly. Mm. In your life, are you protecting the right things? Are you protecting your family, or are you protecting the things that you put ahead of your family? Are you protecting the ideals that you hold so close to yourself, or are you protecting... Yourself different, you, like I, I don't know. I just feel like there's, there's a whole different way, bunch of ways you could answer that question. But I think being a protector is that you would be, you are willing to put yourself ahead of others, for the greater no, good of that. Group. You're willing to put yourself behind others for the greater good. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Put right. yourself ahead. Yes. That's a different story completely. Yeah, yes. I'm sorry. Or, or no, no. ahead. In, I know what you mean. Ahead like in, in the sense, sense of like, danger. You're gonna be. Like you're gonna step way, in between. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's okay. kind of what I mean. Yeah. Not okay. like right. me personally. I'm, but your yeah. needs you yes. put behind. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I um, when I think of protector and provider, both of those things together, there's something I 
I remember seeing like something online one day where, and um, it was it was a stupid meme, and um, I don't understand it, but it was saying like, I'm the man, I work hard, I'm the king of my home, I eat first. And I'm like, no, no, I I don't think that's how that should work. No, you know, I, like you to be, used to be though. It, it, I, and I, I now I can understand if the mother says I'm going to serve him first to honor him, right? I'm going to serve him first to honor him. Um, like you know, like it also they, goes both ways, right? But I, but I, I know that like if if we had, you know, uh, 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 let's say we were having dinner and we had a, a a pizza and it had so many slices of pizza and there was enough. For everybody but one person in the family, right? That's all the food we had in the home. Let's just say that. There's enough pizza for all of us but one. The one that should go without, you know, would be me. <laughs> like I'm a hundred percent lucky though. Well, that's I, for a few reasons, but well, yeah, slap. <laughs> You're bullying me. <laughs> Are, they, are you saying I'm fat? It's an anti-pizza joke, Dad. Anti-pizza joke. <laughs> You've eaten too much pizza. No, but but well, like my grandmother used to say, you can live off your fat for a couple weeks. Um, <laughs> but but the, but the idea is, you know, like it, the same with protection. And when you think about providing, is you know, I'm going to put their needs ahead of my own. Mm-hmm. That's the way that that, that should be. You know, now at the same time, if I have a very physical demanding job that that I need to have calories in my body in order to do the job, I can't go without every night of the week or I'm not going to be able to work to be able to bring home the money to, to make the pizza, you know. But you don't have to go back very many hundreds of years to find the antithesis to that. You really don't because you figure back in the day the guy that had his family living in a dugout on the plains someplace, he was the most important person in that family sure. because he defended, he was the farmer, he right. was the meat getter, he was the money getter, he was the one that did all this, so he was treated different than they, than men are now. If he died, there'd be no one. Yeah, there'd be no one, and that right. family would wither and die, so he was the head of it. You go back even further to just after we crawled out of the ocean that that guy literally held the life of his family in his hands. Yeah. I I definitely think... You right? It was me. That was you. Oh, my God. I know. I'm going to have to step away soon because i got to go put kids to bed. All right. We'll, we'll, we're wrapping up. We'll see you here in a minute. But, yeah, I definitely th- can, can understand the concept of making sure... It has changed over the years. Sure. It definitely has sure. changed. I, and I do think that that there is a degree of honor. Like, I think of in my home, you know, uh, like, I honored and respected my dad for what he did for our family. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so as a kid, if it was, like, if it, as, as a kid looking at it, it would have been like, I'm going to give my dad this piece of pizza because he's awesome. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, I get it. I get the concept entirely, but I think when it comes to honor, it's not something you should give yourself. I think it's something that is given to you. It's not honorable if you if you do it for yourself. That's like respect. Yeah, it's it's earned, not not give, It's given, not 
For exactly. me, it's a little different because I, I didn't have the the upbringing as Josh did. I didn't have my dad. I had my mom, and she was barely there too. And uh, but for me, it's it's always been whoever cooked the food ate last, and I just happened to be the one that cooked the food, so I ate last. <laughs> because I always wanted to see everybody enjoying it before I got to enjoy it. But what, what did we teach in scouting when when we were doing food? Okay, kids were last, leaders and parents were first. Mm. You know, to, to just the, to me, that's manners. Sure, and I, I get the manners. I understand. You know, that's it, manners. Yes. Well, but and typically in that setting, it's a matter of, um, it, it's almost a matter of showing honor to mm-hmm. to those. You know, you're teaching the kids to show yeah. honor to the to the adults. You know, show respect. Yes. Yeah, um, I, I love, by the way, that what you just described is a formational part of you, mm-hmm. because you're a cook, you're a chef, mm-hmm. you know, you live your life now in that same way where you cook for people, you provide food for them, and you get to enjoy after yeah. you get to yeah. enjoy, but you're making sure that they get to enjoy it, yeah. which I think is kind of a neat, it's a neat origin like story for I your like superhero that. villain. <laughs> and I'll go I'll go completely in line with what you said as far as protector and provider. That's that's my way of thinking. Yeah. As you go wherever you wherever you need to go, you need whatever you need to do. I mean, I, I, wife won't let me wear it, but one of the t-shirts I want is from a place you won't see it will come a sound you'll never hear. You know, I, you know, it's called retaliation or whatever, yeah. and and but so. Why won't your wife let you wear? She's not gonna let you wear a t-shirt. Not like that. She doesn't like it. <laughs> she thinks I'm a little bit too confrontational sometimes. I gotcha. And I don't know where she gets that idea, but uh, so you know. By the way, Justin says this. Uh, he says, "A family truly humbles you and makes you a leader. When you provide and lead the way, it just matures you." It has been such an experience of growth for me. And I know Justin is, um, uh, he's fairly newly wedded. Right. Like, yeah, they, they, and he's got a stepson, which is a really, a teenage stepson. That So that's a pretty cool experience to walk in. Again, that. again. <laughs> Domini, Domini there, pal. Wow. Uh, he says, sometimes being the protector isn't received well, but as a man, we have a, a threat radar that my wife or kid wouldn't have. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And we, we men usually historically live in at least condition yellow all the time. Yeah, condition. Yeah, I like that. Where where a woman generally wanders around condition green. I'm not, and that's that's not being rude. That's not being anything else. Mm-hmm. Because most women don't think of things that way. Or yeah. or there are also times with women have been through a lot of trauma or traumatic experiences. They'll where, roll in that. Where they, they can also roll so far in the red yeah. that they don't see, you know what I mean? So yeah. that, that yeah. can happen both ways there. But yeah. um, in a, in a, I would say too about the, the being the protector isn't received. We also have to make sure that like being in the yellow, right? So we're always, okay, is there danger? Is there danger? Is there danger? We also want to make sure that we're not finding danger where it's not. You know, because that's an easy thing to, you know, yeah. yes, be cautious, be, but be wise, be wise Yeah. because, um, temper action with wisdom. Yeah. And, and, and I'll tell you this, you know, um, I know that with my wife, I have a desire to protect her against anything that could possibly ever come against her. I, I don't want people talking bad about her. I don't want people saying mean things to her Please. and, and with her job and the, and the work that she does, sometimes that just happens. Absolutely. <laughs> 
and, it's it's a and, conditional life. And, and and if I were to step in and just protect her from those things, what I'm also not doing is I'm also in those situations not allowing her to prove to, to, to prove them wrong and to or to correct them herself. And it's so, only a big girl. Yeah, exactly. Like, and it, so is your wife. You know, like she can handle her own. It's just like we were talking with the with the kids and the bullies and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. so in my job of protecting her, I'm also trusting her to be able to handle it. Yeah. Uh, it, this, and if we translate that to providing really quick, sometimes your wife makes more money than you. That's okay. You're, it's still your job to make sure that provision is getting to your family, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If your wife kills the deer and brings the deer home, you're making sure that the... Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, so it's... So it's the the protector part of it and this just really rings true with so you know in the last couple of weeks i've had a significant family member pass away and then uh you know a person who was very close to our family pass away and when it was my grandmother who passed away my mom kept asking me are you going to bring my five-year-old to the funeral to the viewing and i you know my wife and i talked about it a lot and my mom kept telling me don't you want to protect her from it and I'm like, protect her from what? What am I what am I truly like protecting her from there? And I will tell you it was one of the most interesting experiences to watch my child at a funeral and a viewing. Hmm. That child walked up with every single adult to that casket, every single one of them, held their hand and would wa- watch them. And as soon as they would show any bit of emotion, she would hug them. And then they would walk away, and she'd wait for the next person, and she'd walk up with them. She's an empath. There, mm-hmm. and wait, and wait. And she, the most stoic version of that child I have ever seen, and you know my kid. Mm-hmm. She's not stoic about a whole lot. <laughs> and then after it was all over... When we were all ready to leave and we had just finished and we were getting ready to go to the church for the service, she finally let herself feel that moment. And she cried. Mm. And she turned and looked at me and was asking for what she provided to everybody else. As soon as I hugged her, as soon as she looked at me and made that face... I hugged her and she instantly cried. She was only waiting for that moment. And like, if I had not put her there, if I had not put her in mm-hmm. that that moment and protected her from it, would have never known that. But like you said, though, protect her from what? Death mm-hmm. is a part of life. You're protecting her from life. Well, and, I mean, it is. And, you know? and that would instill more of a fear of death on her than seeing it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But I think it was just, it was that, that moment of clarity of, like, am I really raising my child the right way or with the right, like, am I doing this right? Yep, you and are. It really, really, really drove home. Well, right there, me. yeah, right there. Yeah. Show that's like, yeah, that's that's okay. you, that's you got schooled. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got schooled. You know, it wasn't that. just me who noticed it either. Like, my dad said something, and my, my mom's cousin from who knows where said, I think down near Indiana, PA, if I'm not mistaken, said something about it. And I'm like, and I watched her, and I watched her, and I was just in awe of what a five-year-old can do. Mm-hmm. Amazing things. Dan, that is uh, an amazing story. And I think it actually 
is a is a great way to to wrap up our podcast for the night. <laughs> yeah. I think that's 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 awesome. Yeah, I, love I, don't, it. I don't know where we can go from that. Yeah, yeah like like that's like like the the. I didn't really mean to make that a mic drop. No, button, it is. It's beautiful. Like, it's beautiful. Tell the story. I think it's beautiful. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I, really. Real quick, I'll just read the last couple comments that we got here because they're good. Justin says, so is someone going to eat the cheese? It's seriously so funny. <laughs> I, I way too far. Justin and now I have to reach it. all the way over <laughs> here to get it. And I've been, I've been eyeing it. I have been yeah, eyeballing like, this. Rob, off. Rob, I've been eyeballing this the whole time. Rob Thompson also says, please pass the cheese and pepperoni to Justin and I. Oh, God. <laughs> we make it. Some for you, man. Some for you. Oh, man. Hey, thank you guys for listening. Uh, I appreciate you guys. Dan. <laughs> Dan and Dan, you guys are I fantastic. Go stand close to the camera so they can enjoy it. Yeah, there you go. There go, you go. So that they can enjoy it. Don't forget you're attached. Oh, oh, I'm attached. Yeah. I don't Here, I'll just it. reach over. There, there you go. go. Have it. Take it's it. It's for you. <laughs> we'll put some in an envelope and send it. Oh, wait, my mic got clipped off. It's somewhere now. Oh, no problem. It's under your heel. Don't worry about it. <laughs> oh. What was the crunch? Well, hey, guys. I really appreciate you guys. Thank you guys so much for being with us today. This was a fantastic conversation. This is awesome. And and until next time. Yeah. Yes. So, as I usually say when we end our podcast, guys, I love you. I care about you. And we'll see you next time. If you want to be a better man, check out our website, manlyhood.com, for blogs, videos, and more from our Manlyhood team. And you can also join our private Facebook group, Manlyhood Man Cave, where you can meet up with a band of brothers who will challenge you and help you on your journey of manhood. This episode is produced by Hatcher Media for Manlyhood.com. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, YouTube, or wherever you're listening to the show. Tune in again for more of the Manlyhood Mancast.